Matthew chapter 25, verse Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. And this is not our theme passage, but this is just something to get us going here. So Jesus is making inter- or praying to the Father, and he's saying, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. And what struck me about that is we see Jesus Christ, God incarnate, praying to his Father, saying, you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, but, e- but you have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Almost implying that the common sense thing to do would be to reveal these things to people who are wise and prudent, right? But God has revealed these things to, the, to babes. And Jesus Christ is showing his submission to God as his father as being the authority in his life. For so it seemed good in your sight. He doesn't say for so it seemed good in my sight. But he says in your sight. He is submitted completely to the will of the Father. And it just made me think, you know, as we're talking about thankfulness today. um, Jesus is saying it is good the way you have done it. Jesus trusted the way his Father had, had it. And that was best. And we even see that attitude in Psalms 23 when David says, The Lord is my shepherd. And and it's kind of funny, so many times people are so revved up about this and excited. Hey, the Lord is my shepherd, you know. Never stopping to think possibly that that makes them a sheep. A sheep is an undesirable animal that has very little common sense. And if you don't, like, bring them along every step of the way, they just, they'll die. Like sheep without a shepherd is, is not just, it's not just a picture of chaos. It's a, actually a picture of doom, ultimately. But David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's not saying, I don't, the Lord is my shepherd and I don't want him. He's saying, I, do, I, will, I won't want because I know I will not be in want because God is my shepherd. Almost, I guess, saying, I shall not ask for something else or keep complaining. I shall be thankful. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul, Paul exhorts the believers to give thanks for all things, for this is the will of God. And it's interesting how he uses, he says, to give thanks for all things, for this is the will of God. Right before that, he has told these people to pray without ceasing. And so, if you're praying without ceasing, you can fairly easily trust that whatever is happening in your life is happening according to the will of God, right? And so he's saying give, to give thanks for all things, for this is the will of God. Um, sometimes when life throws us curveballs and we don't know how we should respond or what we should do or how should I even think about this? Have you guys been there? Probably you have, you know, you were anticipating first A and then B and then C. That was clearly laid out and obviously D and E and F is next, right? All of a sudden you have X and Y and then you throw a random J in there and all of a sudden you're like, I don't even know the alphabet anymore. I give up. I quite not on yet. I don't know what's going on. 
I don't think, I don't think that's abnormal. But God's will for our life is that we give thanks for all things. And as I was reading this, it was an interesting time in my life. We were in Blevia. I had committed to preaching on the day of Thanksgiving. And that was on Sunday. So I was supposed to preach on Sunday. And then Monday, we, well, actually, the week preceding, we had a babysitter stay at our house who was dealing with mental issues and schizophrenia possibly, I'm not sure. But anyway, basically what happened was our life was just turned upside down. The person that was supposed to come teach our children and homeschool them and whatnot ended up being having to be sent home, flown home from Bolivia to Canada. That's for serious stuff, yeah. And so I was kind of like, wow, what's going on here? And then I had, that same week I had the flu, so I was feeling rather nasty. And it was about plus 40 with 180% humidity, so it really helps when you're feeling gross. And um, all of a sudden, Anita comes and says, I think there's a fire. And I actually, like, vote to hunt. Like, I got out of bed, and a shirt was still open. I ran outside, and sure enough, there's smoke coming right from behind us. So I jump onto my roof, and, and as I step onto the roof, there's just this blast of flame that I didn't get hit with the flame, but I got hit with very close being to being hit with the flame, it sure felt like, because I got burned here on the side of my face. And so I'm like, okay, what yet on? And there was this big fire that was burning behind us, a fire out of control, and it was burning right up to our wall. And so thankfully our wall was made of concrete, and so we were okay. So in my limited Spanish, I managed to get a hold of the landlord who managed to get a hold of the fireman who managed to come there and managed to get confused by my Spanish trying to explain, here's some fiat, it's nicht good, ich fall me ehrlich, please take care of it, right? So that wasn't, I thought, well, you know, um, already the gears are starting to turn. How in the world am I supposed to preach on Thanksgiving? And then Monday morning we find out, and I know Nita wouldn't like if I shared this, but I'll first share that Head lice does not thrive on dirty hair. Here, that's my qualifier, yeah. Head lice thrives on clean hair, okay? Anyway, we all found out on Monday that we all had lice. So eight people, one home, all had lice. Very bad. And it came from the girl that we had just sent home. So we were struggling with bitterness, head lice, fire, the flu, and having to preach on thankfulness. And so I read in Thessalonians where Paul exhorts these people to give thanks for all things. So I thought, I better find out what's going on in the background here. And so let's take a little bit of a look at the Thessalonian believers. And, and just so we understand the context of why Paul is exhorting these people to give thanks for all things. Because it sounds like a very broad statement. So let's bear in mind that this letter to the Thessalonians was written for a specific purpose to a specific group of people who were going through specific things at that time. So what were these Thessalonian believers supposed to be thankful for? What were they going through? What was their faith story? How did they come to know the Lord? Well, let's see. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians. And I'm going to be reading. I have my scriptures in my notes. So if you have trouble keeping up, I'm sorry. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9 says, Paul is writing and he says, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. 
with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So we see these people were normal people. They were serving idols, probably the idols which were impacting their lives. They were probably living in grave sexual immorality, which is normal for idolatry, um, alcohol, whatever they had in those days. But it was, they were, they were heathen. But now they have turned from these serving these idols to, to serve the true and living God. So what, what, was, what was it like for them when they you know, said, hey, you know, Paul, you presented the gospel to us. We want to accept this. We want to, you know, repent and turn from our sinful ways and turn to the Lord. And it says in 1 Thessalonians, I think it's one six, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. And so we can hear that to, to, to make the choice to follow or serve Christ, in this day was not an easy choice because if they were to accept Christ and if they were to take and and throw aside their heathen ways or possibly their Jewish ways, as we'll see later, there there was lots of affliction that came with this. 1 Thessalonians 2.14 says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. So Paul actually goes as far as to say that they suffered, well, they did, they suffered persecution from their own countrymen just just as the Judeans did. So they were receiving persecution or affliction from their own brothers and sisters, from the very people that they were interacting with on a daily basis. How bad was this persecution? And it says... Um, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea and Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they do not please God, and are contrary to all men. So the affliction that we're talking about is not light affliction. It says, in the same way that the Judean people were afflicted, And we all know that Jesus Christ was crucified in Judea, in Jerusalem. This was not a a light thing. So let's, let's put ourselves in the Thessalonian people. They were confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Upon hearing the word, they were obviously forced to count the cost. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it not worth it? Is it wise? Is it not wise? And yet they were drawn to follow the word and to repent and, and give their lives to the Lord. And once they did that, they were receiving persecution from brothers and sisters. They were, you know, if we look at church history, that's very, very common. Jesus even says that your main enemies will be those of your own household. And we see it here with the Thessalonian people. But Paul also reminds them and says to them, 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 to 5. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, so like, man, they've, they've kind of like, 
It's kind of like when I'm watching my kids learn to drive bike, right? And, 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 and the best place to learn is at Wadland, not on the big hill. Don't, don't, don't do it there for all you new parents. But kind of on the grass that kind of goes down like that towards the lake. Perfect place to teach your kids how to drive bike. But anyway. But Paul says, when we could no longer endure it, it's like you watched the kid and they wiped out, and they wiped out, and they wiped out. And maybe for you, you watch your kid try to learn how to skate. And it's like, when we could no longer endure it, I just had to get off, turn off Netflix, get off the couch, and go help my kid, right? Like, I, I just couldn't endure this anymore. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. See, it's like he's, he's reminding them, saying, hey, remember when I was with you, I told you that when you will give your heart to Christ and you will become born again, that you will be afflicted. And now you're getting exactly what we talked about. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. The scenario is not good for the Thessalonian people. The scenario was very, very dark, very rough, hard times. And in fact, it was so hard that Paul was thinking, surely, Vorn did it even matter? But Paul knew what they were going through because he had experienced persecution as well. And we see that in, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 1-2. He says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know... We were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. So Paul says because they received so much persecution in Philippi, like Paul knows what they're going through. And one thing I wanted to bring out here is before the gospel ever came to Thessalonica, well actually Macedonia is here and then you have um, Lystra and Derb, and then Philippi, and then you go down and you have um, Thessalonica. And it's interesting because in Acts chapter 16 and 17, if you'll go home and read it, Paul actually has a clear, he thinks, a clear path. At first he's going to go into Asia, and he's going to bring the gospel to Asia. And then he is told by the Spirit that he can't. So next he says, okay, you know, Claxus be all adonable down. We know we have the mandate, we have the commission. I'm off to Bithynia. No. God wouldn't allow him to go into Bithynia either. The next, that night, Paul actually has a vision. Calling a person saying, come to Macedonia. To bring the gospel to Macedonia. And it's interesting how it says there in the scriptures, Paul concluded that it was the will of God that they go to Macedonia. Implying that when you do receive a vision, it's very, very necessary to test it, obviously with scripture. But even still, there is a level of concluding that this is what we're supposed to do. 
And Paul was doing what he believed God wanted him to do. So when Paul comes to Philippi, he actually receives intense persecution to the point that he is thrown out and I think it's there. No, that's in Durb. But he gets intensely persecuted anyway. So he has to leave Philippi. So two closed doors and then he works in Philippi but it doesn't turn out and finally the gospel comes to Thessalonica. And what I find interesting about that is, is how clearly we see, can see the sovereign hand of God in the gospel coming to the Thessalonian people. See, to us it does not make sense, but God was working out his plan. So, had there been no persecution in Philippi, the gospel may have never come to the Thessalonians. Had, you know... And, and so we're seeing now that God's ways are not our ways and his plans are not our plans. The Thessalonians were the recipients of the good news because of the perceived bad persecution in Philippi. And so this brings us to our main point. What is Paul's advice or words to help these Thessalonian Christians? In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. For the persecutions. Because these Thessalonian people are now recipients of the good news. You know, they are saved from eternal damnation. Because of God's sovereign hand bringing them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if God can use two closed doors and, and persecution which to me sounds like discouragement on Paul's end, to bring the good news to a group of people who readily accepts the gospel. And, and, and it says Paul doesn't even need to tell people that he's been in Macedonia. It's so obvious that it's spoken of throughout the whole world in that context that these Thessalonian people are born again and are filled with the Spirit of God. And so he's saying, even... Can you see now Thessalonian people... Give thanks even in this persecution. Because you do not know what the fruits will be. And he even tells them in 1 Thessalonians to not grow weary in their labor of love. Because our, our vision is so small as to what God is doing. And I was talking with one guy the other day. And I'll just share personally a little bit. And we were in Bolivia for eight months, and we thought we were in Bolivia for five years. Okay, we thought that's what we were supposed to do, but it ended up we had to come home, which is God's plan, right? Because I mean, we sought and we seek and we pray and we ask and we don't sleep and we turn and toss and we're not sure and we're scared and we're not. But finally, we make the decision we have to come home, right? And it can feel sometimes that we are discouraged because. This is a failure, right? But be careful how you assess the work of God. Because Romans 8, 26, 27, 28, and all the way to 31 says that God is working to conform men and women to the image of His Son. Okay? That is success. Okay? Success is not when our plans turn out exactly the way we had hoped. The Thessalonian people, I'm sure, did not have a game plan that they would get saved and have to become martyrs for their faith. 
Paul, I'm sure, did not have in mind to lose his head at the end of his life, right? But at the end of the day, the point we're making is God is working out his plan in the backdrop of all our perceived successes, failures, whatever you call it. But God is working out his plan to conform us to the image of his son. Isn't that ultimately, and, and I think this is the test, when it says Romans 8.28, um, for we know that he worketh all things, how does it go, Lord? We know he works all things for good to those who love him and to those who are the called according to his purposes, right? See, when, when Christ Jesus approaches you and the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, you are, you are brought to a point where you are called to reject him or to submit to him. That's what it comes down to. And Christ Jesus, whenever he came to his followers, he says, follow me. Simple. Follow me. But in the act of following someone, you are also leaving something else behind. Right? When we become born again, we are told to count the cost and we're not even... That comes first. You count the cost. Like Paul says, he told these Thessalonian people, they would suffer affliction. Right? But when you come to that, that is the point where you say... Lord Jesus, I give you my life. And not only do I place my faith in you as my Savior, but I give you the authority in my life as my Lord. Both, you, as Peter says in Acts chapter 2, he says, this Christ whom you has crucified, he, you, uh, God has made him both uh, Christ and Lord. The Messiah, the, the, your Savior, but also the Lord of your life. And so that process begins where you have made this decision that you are no longer in charge of your own life. You have now submitted and surrendered that to the Lord. And I like this, this um, the, Joseph Carroll was his name, and he, he had one way to define the cross. And we all know the cross, Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again on the third day, which is why we have victory to even follow him. But as believers, we are also called to take up our cross. And there's lots of debate on that, but I like the way this guy says it. He says, the cross means my life for my sake is done. That's what the cross means. Your life for your sake is done. It was, if you were, a, if you were not a Roman citizen and you were living in Rome and you had possibly committed a crime, maybe cheated on your taxes or done whatever, something that wasn't too evident. You thought you had gotten away with it, right? So you're sitting and eating supper with your family thinking, man, you know, at least no one caught me. And you're eating supper with your family and all of a sudden you hear a knock on the door. And you, so you go to your door and it's the Roman soldiers with a cross. That's what the cross was. So now you have, you will take that cross and you will go die for the crime that you have committed. What about supper? What about your wife and children that are eating supper there, right? Jesus, I, my cross, have taken all to leave and follow thee. Roman, that's why it says, all things work together for good to those who love yourself, right? No. 
to those who love Christ, all things in your life will begin to work themselves out for the good to those that love Him. And that ultimate good is, the, is being, us being conformed to the image of His Son. So these Thessalonian believers were called to give thanks even though the circumstances and situation they were in were not favorable for them. But I believe the backdrop that Paul had here is he's saying, hey, what is God, what is God going to bring out of this? If God can bring glory through two closed doors and, and persecution in another town, what can he possibly do through your persecution? I think of Nehemiah in chapter 1 and we see that we see the city is in great distress and reproach. The wall is broken down. The gates are burned with fire. Nehemiah sits down and weeps. And Nehemiah is not just sad because, you know, he cheered for the Jerusalem Golden Knights or something and now this, you know, his, his, his loyal city, the city he's loyal to is destroyed. That's not what's going on here. What's going on here is Jerusalem was chosen by God to, bring, to manifest the glory of God. The temple of God was in Jerusalem. The people of God met in Jerusalem to bring glory to God. And now you have this city that is supposed to be this, this city on the hill to bring glory to God. These people that are supposed to be thriving in the kingdom and lordship under the God they, they claim to love and serve, they are in reproach. Most of them are in exile. Nehemiah was distressed because the glory of God, his chosen vessel, was in ruins. This reminds me of the Thessalonian people, persecuted and scared. Or maybe it ultimately reminds me of Jesus Christ laying dead in the grave. But God is not done. See, Nehemiah gets permission to rebuild the wall and the temple and the glory of God was restored. The gospel story has continued even past the struggling Thessalonian church. Acts 2.24 says that death could not hold our Savior in the grave. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know him. Being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and have put to death whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Death could not hold our Lord Jesus Christ because the payment for sin is death and Christ Jesus died. And God, as if you'll read in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, Jesus Christ enters behind the veil Offering up his blood, God is satisfied with the payment and thereby Jesus Christ can rise. The payment is sufficient. It's our receipt. The transaction is done. See, God is working out a plan for his glory on this earth. And though we may not always understand his ways, the gates of hell will not prevail. I think of it like this. We know what God is doing. I think anybody that reads their Bible knows what God is doing. He wants to glorify Jesus Christ. He wants to bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So the ultimate glory of God is what God is doing. That's his business right now. But one thing we do not know most of the time is how he's doing it. 
I mean, we do it through preaching, we do it through prayer, we do it through fellowship. But there are so many things in your life that if you try to figure out why exactly this and that, you're going to come up very, very short. I love it. It's in, in Revelation chapter 4, 6 to 11. We won't read it, but it, it's the throne room of heaven. And there's this grand, this grand picture of what heaven looks like and all its honor and glory and, and magnificence. You have people who are falling down on their face, worshiping God, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Compare that with the burning wall of Jerusalem. Compare that with the people of God in exile in Israel. See, God wasn't done, right? Matthew 6.10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, God's will is being perfectly fulfilled in heaven right now, but it will also be perfectly fulfilled in the future. God's will is the ultimate glory of Jesus Christ. And Paul exhorts the Thessalonians and also us to give thanks, for this is all just a part of God's puzzle. This is His sovereign hand working out the glory of His Son. Matthew eleven twenty six. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. The Lord Jesus taught us to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is God's will? That Jesus Christ be glorified. I mean, I have lots of stuff I can talk about this morning, but I just wanted to cover a little bit on why is it important to give thanks. You know, other than the fact that we see that, that we are very small, and, but not insignificant, but we are very small in, in God's plan. It says, our life is but a vapor. I thank the fact that when Anita's up, and the steamed it all from Bible study people that have been with me, I always use that. You see it, and then you don't. You tempt the steam, and then you see it, and then you don't. That's, that's our life. But... God is working out His plan through all of these things that we possibly don't understand. And to give thanks is important because let's look at the Israelites in the Old Testament. Whenever they started losing faith in God and that it was God that had brought them out of Egypt, they started complaining and grumbling. The opposite of giving thanks, right? Grumbling and complaining is the fruit of an unbelieving heart. You know what I mean? Grumbling and complaining is the fruit of an unbelieving heart. To give thanks shows appreciation. It shows faith that you believe God is good. And though you may not understand the why of life's events, to give thanks shows that you still understand that life is not random. And you choose to acknowledge God in the situation by thanking Him. You know what, guys? There's going to be times in your life where you're going to sit in your bed and you're going to have situations in front of you that you, have no, that, that you don't really know how to deal with. And possibly many of you have felt that too, where you don't even know what to pray. It, it's, you're, you're kind of lost. And how do you bring God in in a situation like that? Other than just crying out for help, which is good. But ultimately, I believe to bring God in is to thank Him. Look at, Paul and, look at Paul and Philippi when he was suffering persecution. When he was in jail, 
He was worshiping God. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In that statement, we see, we basically read, we say, I shall be content. I shall be thankful. I shall not complain. I will acknowledge God is in control of my life and I am a sheep. You see, the secret to giving thanks for all things is learning to trust and understand the one who is leading you. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that will lead you to give thanks in all things. The secret to giving thanks for all things is learning to trust and understand the one who is leading you. If this is in place, the circumstances don't matter. Our thankfulness is directed towards the one who has allowed and is in control of the circumstance, not toward the circumstance itself. Does that make sense? We're not, we're not thanking God for every difficult circumstance as far as the circumstance itself, but we're thanking the God who, behind the difficult circumstance that has allowed this. And even within that, we are worshiping God as Habakkuk says, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Luke 11.11-13 11, says, if a son asks for bread from, his fa- from any father among you, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he, give, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good, good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You see, to give thanks is to show trust or faith in the goodness of God. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. To give thanks is to show faith and trust in the sovereignty of God. If there's one thing that can give you comfort in a tough time, it's that. Knowing that God is sovereign. Hebrews 13, 15, Therefore by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. So us, our, our sacrifice of praise to God is thankfulness. Is thankfulness not really the heart of worship? I, I, I think, you know, you, you can't worship God without being thankful. Our, our worship, and... and, and <laughs> Let's not get into worship because it's such a big theme, but the Christian life is worship. That's what it is. God has done all this, therefore, right? Our being thankful in all things is tied up with who God is and what He has promised. I'm reminded of when I went to Bible school and I sat down with some of the men to pray. And <clears throat> I thought we would just take these requests. You know, this guy's struggling with, with stealing. This guy's struggling with, 
whatever. I don't know what the prayer requests were. And so the way I had learned to pray is we just sit down, we get her done, right? God help this guy to not steal, and then we move on, eh? The way these people would pray was a severe rebuke to my prayer life because they would get on their knees and they would start thanking God. So let's say, for example, someone has been suffering or struggling under the power of lust, let's just say. And they can't overcome that power and they're just underneath it and and they keep falling and they keep falling. Well, these men, they would start their prayers by saying, Lord Jesus, thank you how we saw the, your power manifested when you split the sea in two. Or how we saw your, mani- your power manifested when you rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Or how we ultimately saw your power manifested when you conquered death in three days and rose from the grave. Okay, now all of a sudden, I'm waking up and I'm starting to see, whoo, God is powerful, right? And my faith is being built and I'm being edified and built up and encouraged. And then they would bring the need to God. And they would say, Lord Jesus, would you give that power to this man who is struggling under this power of lust? See, that's a completely different prayer, right? So to be thankful in all things is also tied up in the promises of God, the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God. I, I, I think of it as this, it's like a spiritual secret that Paul is ministering to these people. It's like that, that one secret ingredient that that Country Grill has in their banana cream pie. And finally, new vitic for an ass, a new coin cracked on hand. Our being thankful is, tie, is in all things, is tied up with who God is and what He has promised. Being thankful for all things does not mean we don't struggle with things that happen to us in our life, but rather like Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious, but with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. With thanksgiving, again, bringing God into your circumstance by thanking Him for it, you are acknowledging that He is involved. In fact, you are showing faith that he has allowed or given you this very thing. See, the Philippian church was under great persecution, and they were told to give thanks. The Thessalonian church was under great persecution, and they were told to give thanks. The Hebrew church was under great persecution, they were told to give thanks. So, why does Paul tell them to give thanks for all things? Kind of, in a, in a weird kind of way, a summary Because when we turn our eyes to God to give thanks, this takes our eyes off of the bad circumstance and turns them to God, who is is always good and is always in control and never makes mistakes. Even in persecution and sickness and loneliness, God is still there and he is good and will never change. As As they were going through hard times, we know that the devil will have sought to turn their eyes away from the Lord and to doubt his goodness. Paul even says this is what he is scared will happen. So how do we counter the work of the devil and silence his doubts that he is trying to get into our hearts? Give thanks. Think about God. Think about the, wor- the wonders he's done in your life. Knowing that the God is still the same. The God 
of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Thessalonians, the God of the disciples, the God of the reformers. God is still the same. So if life has been hard on you as his child, remember, God is still there. He is still in control. Acknowledge him today and give thanks. Hey, and if life has been good to you and you feel everything is going your way, give thanks. And make sure you give the glory to God as, as one leper out of ten did. As we see in Psalms 100, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all ye lands. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Just as a closing thought, I would just like to say to sometimes uh, in, in the times where, where it can be hard, just as a review, zoom out. Just take your camera, zoom out a little bit. See, right now you're, you're in the forest and, and you're, <laughs> you're walking and you're, you just hit this big tree. You just can't really get past that tree. And you just don't really know how this is supposed to work. Or you're on a trail going through the bush and there's God is in the helicopter above that bush and he sees that he just, you know, it's not as serious as you think. That tree isn't as big as you thought it was. You just need to keep going. So, so zoom out a little bit and, and just, and while you're assessing your life, just think of it as God God's eternal purpose, as it says in Ephesians chapter 3, He has an eternal purpose, and He has plugged us temporal people into His eternal plan. And so just remember, it started out kind of bad, but in the end, Jesus Christ will be glorified. And that, that's where we're at right now. We're, 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 we're getting there, right? And we're in this process, and we're struggling a little bit. We're, we're, we're a little bit lost sometimes. But just remember, there is an author and a finisher, right? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And he's calling us to follow him. And I just wanted to share one more thing. It's in Philippians chapter, I think it's Philippians chapter 3, but he says, to do all things without complaining and grumbling. And it, the context there, I'll quickly find a verse because I don't want to say something that's not. <clears throat> Philippians two fourteen to 16. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. <laughs> you know, sometimes those little things that are perceived as little, you know, Tuesday morning you're on the job and you have an opportunity to be a little bit gray. Just be honest. 
Do your business honestly. When you're dealing with your friends, tell them the truth. Be honest with people. The way there's so many different little the way you raise your kids, the way you talk to them, all these little things that you can do as a Christian. To us they're little. To the world they're like lights in the sky. You know, this, my ver- CSV says, whom you shine as stars in the sky. The New King James says, whom you shine as lights in the world. But either way, these little things are actually massive things for the glory of God. So I want to just encourage you with that. And I'll just read one song here. Uh, it's a song by Robin Mark. And um, I wanted us I should have told Rob beforehand. I I didn't have the song in my head before we could have put it on the PowerPoint. But it goes like this. He lowers us to raise us so we can sing his praises. Whatever is his way, all is well. He makes us rich and poor that we might trust him more. Whatever is his way, all is well. All my changes come from him, he who never changes. I'm held firm in the grasp of the rock of all the ages. All is well with my soul. He is God in control. I know not all his plans, but I know I'm in his hands. He clothes us now and then strips us, yet with his word equips us. Whatever is his way, all is well. And though our seasons change, we still exalt his name. Whatever is his way, all is well. All is well with my soul. He is God in control. I know not all his plans, but I know I am in his hands. Let's just close close in a word of prayer. Oh Lord, I'm thankful that you are in control. And I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, that not only am I under your hand in the times that you demonstrate kindness, which is a manifestation of your love. But Lord, I also thank you that even when I'm under the rod and under rebuke, that that is still a manifestation of your love. You tell us you have adopted us, redeemed us, sealed us. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this assurance, God. I pray for each one in this room today that you would help them to see, Father, that your glory is running in the backdrop and that everything that they do is in your hands. And I pray, Lord, when they are, if some are at that stage where they just don't understand, that you would just comfort them today with knowing that you are still in control. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love, your grace, and your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.